Struggling with painful periods, irregular cycles, mood swings, acne, or fatigue? You are not alone. 80% of women struggle with symptoms of hormone imbalance. Agni's delicious cookies, teas, and seasonings were created with their medical advisory board to make it easy and delicious to support your hormone health and periods all cycle long. I've been using Agni's treats and teas for the last few cycles. I can honestly say it has made them much more pleasant. My cycles are shorter, lighter, and dare I say, more enjoyable with my tasty double chocolate chip cookies that I look forward to each month because it helps take my body from surviving my period to thriving on my period. Yes, that's possible with Agni. Gluten-free, vegan-friendly, and loaded with nutrients specifically chosen to support hormone health. Agni's treats are also super delicious. Visit agniforall.com, A-G-N-I, for all.com and use code Basinski, B-A-C-I-N-S-K-I for 25% off your first order. Hello, hello, and welcome back to the All Good Juju podcast. I am your host, Brittany Basinski. Today's episode will be featuring Chloe Bear, the money coach, founder and creator of the Lazy Investors course and, you guessed it, Money Coach. In less than two years, Chloe paid off $40,000 in debt and saved over $100,000 for retirement. She is now on track to retire at the ripe age of 46. She helps her clients build wealth with minimal effort while making finance sexy, fun, and easy to understand. In this episode, we are uncovering what it means to build wealth, common money mistakes, how to be a lazy investor, and how to make the best money moves. I am so excited to welcome Chloe to chat with us today. This interview is highly informative and empowering, and I can't wait to dive in with you. Hello, thank you so much for coming. I'm so excited to have you. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, so let's start by telling everyone a little bit about who you are and what you're all about. Yeah, so on the internet, I'm referred to as Chloe Bear, the money coach. Uh, I am really focused on providing financial education that is accessible and interesting and even fun. Anytime somebody tells me that they found my approach or learning about investing through me fun. I'm always like doing an internal dance because that's my favorite thing in the whole entire world. Um, so yeah, that's, that's really what I focus on. Uh, I do it through, you know, a, a bunch of different mediums, but my biggest, my biggest platforms I would say are Instagram and TikTok right now. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I found you through Instagram and I have to say that's exactly what I love about you because I have a right brain. So I'm like creative numbers scare me. I I've never told anyone this, but I failed algebra twice, uh, chemistry once and, um, anything with numbers. I just cannot. But when I found your page, it was like, this makes sense. And it's fun (laughs) to watch. And like you make finance sexy, which is great. So let's talk about, you know, your background. How did you how did you even get here? Right. Yeah. So you talking about hating numbers, I totally resonate with that. And I remember, uh, I was like in 
oh gosh, I want to say I was in like seventh grade going on to eighth grade. And I remember I, I had been struggling in advanced math in seventh grade. I mean, probably the entire time I was in advanced anything math related. And I remember in seventh grade, I did not get into the advanced class for math for eighth graders. And I remember sobbing because in my mind, I was like, I'm a failure. I'm stupid. Like, you know, I'm not going to get into a good college at eighth grade. I was thinking these things. And, you know, I eventually like they didn't care. I told them I wanted to be in it and I was able to get into it. But um I had so much anxiety around numbers back in the day, around math in general, like in college, I had the option to take a math class or to take a logic class. So I took a logic class instead, which honestly, I feel like was way more helpful than a math class was. Mm -hmm. But what I, what for me, my journey actually started back in 2018 when I had gotten a new job. It was a $20,000 increase and it was more money than I ever thought I would be making. And what I realized was that if I didn't figure out how to manage that money right then and there, I was just going to blow through it. Just like I had every other raise and promotion that I had been through previously, which prior to that, I had had five promotions in a row where every six months to a year, I was making more money, but I always was struggling. And so I decided in October, 2018, you know what, I'm going to figure this out. I don't really know what I'm doing, but I'm going to do it in the same way that I've done everything else, which at the time I had a blog called clobear.com and the blog was about mental health and relationships. And so even though I didn't know anything about finance, I was like, you know what, I am just going to budget every month and I'm going to share on Clover, what I spent every single month. And, you know, people weren't expecting that from me considering right. it was a relationships and mental health blog. Um, but slowly it started to gain traction and I just started falling deeper and deeper into the personal finance rabbit hole because once I discovered like personal finance to me is the key to so many of the freedoms and things that I wanted in life. And I just became obsessed with it. So I started reading everything I could, educating myself in any way possible. And eventually by 2020, I was like, well, you know, I went into this with the idea of being debt-free. I thought that that was the ultimate thing. That was like what I had to be shooting for. And I'd worry about the other stuff later, the investing stuff later, because it seemed way too complicated. It seemed like something I could never understand as somebody who would cry about not getting into an advanced math. <laughs> and eventually got to the point in 2020 where it was like, okay, you have had your blinders on for too long. If you want to build wealth, if you're serious about building wealth, you cannot just pretend that you don't need to invest. You know, you need to invest, you know, you need to figure this out. So that's when I finally was like, all right, I'm going to look at my 401k. I'm going to see what I'm invested in. I'm going to try and pick my own investments. And I'm just going to spend a lot of time really learning specifically how to invest. Uh, and that's kind of where it took off from there, where it's just like, this investing thing is so cool. It's so interesting. And there's so much information out there that is so hard to understand if you don't have a base level understanding of it. So it was like, I want to be a voice in the space where I'm sharing as I'm learning, you know, mm -hmm. I'm going through and learning right along with folks back in the day when I was, and mm -hmm. now, now I, you know, it feels weird to call myself an expert, but I would say I'm at the very least a le an expert in lazy investing Mm -hmm. And, um, and I love it. I love teaching people how to money yeah. and how to invest. Cause it is scary. It is it, one of those yeah. things where it just feels like it's for other people. 
It does. It really does. Um, something I want to credit you on is just your story of getting started. And I hear this a lot and I talk a lot with entrepreneurs and just being one myself and knowing like where I started to like where I'm at, just owning that evolution. Like I was a relationship blogger and a mental health blogger. And then I felt that nudge and then I trusted it. Mm-hmm. Now here you are, right? You quit a six figure nine to five job to pursue what you are doing now. Can we just like <laughs> for that? That's incredible. Let's talk about that. Yeah, it's wild. But I think it just goes to show you how much the work is needed. Mm-hmm. You know, we need more money coaches. We need more people who are out there to educate rather than to try and like get your business as a financial advisor, because yeah, there are a lot of financial advisors out there. There are a lot of CFPs out there. There are good ones and there are bad ones. Um, The money coaching, the financial coaching, the education component is like what has been missing for so long. Back in the day, all you had was Susie Orman or Dave Ramsey and neither, well, Susie Orman goes into investing a little bit, but Dave Ramsey really doesn't. And his investing advice is pretty lackluster. Um, So I think that that's honestly just a testament to how much money coaching and that gap is needed. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's been a really, really, really cool journey. And, um, I love sharing the fact that I'm really just an average Joe who was able to teach myself because I tell people all the time, I'm not special. Like there's nothing that I did that anybody, like everybody can do what I did in terms of the knowledge that it took to start investing. I recognize that not everyone has a six figure salary to, you know, increase their net worth as quickly as I did. But in terms of the knowledge that you need in order to do what I did, you could absolutely, it's very replicable. So that's why I, you know, I think it's special to come in as a money coach who was not, you know, formally trained in finance and isn't a financial advisor, Mm -hmm. um, but who did her self-education. And, you know, I'm pursuing my CFP now just to to, uh, to formalize my education. But mm-hmm. I think that, um, like I said, I think that that just goes to show you how much we need that information. Yeah. I am huge on self personal development and self-help. And I feel like there are so many professional, even like doctors, I feel like you go to the doctor and you tell them what what's going on. They just gaslight you because they don't really know the root cause. And so I think it is important that people do understand that you don't need a specific degree to be an expert, right? You've put in the time people trust you because you've done that work and you've seen the results for yourself. And that is enough, right? So let's talk about what you did. You did a pretty big thing to kind of kick off your business, right? Uh, what do you mean? I mean, <laughs> you paid off $40,000 of debt oh, yeah. in two years, uh, that whole claim to fame here. <laughs> yeah, I was like, which aspect are you talking about? Because I feel like I I've done so many so amazing things. <laughs> I've just done so many things in the last six months. And I was like, yeah. is she talking about the course? Is she talking about quitting oh. my job? Is she talking about like, I don't know. All of it. Um, yeah. Yeah, no. So I, I, when I started this journey, I was like negative. My net worth was like negative $70,000 or something along those mm-hmm. lines. And in two years, I was able to, it was about two years, maybe two and a half years. I was able to increase my net worth by about $200,000. That's been my claim to fame for a while. Um, And in that time period, you know, our net worth includes paying off your debt. So as your debt decreases, your net worth increases as well. So I was getting out of the negative slowly. Um, But I also, so in that time period, I 
spent really the first year and a half, two years, just dedicating all my extra dollars to paying off my low interest debt. And then after further educating myself, I realized, okay, this is not actually the most efficient way for me to be spending this extra money every month. I would be much better off first getting my emergency fund and then second, uh, really investing that money instead, especially because I was still in my twenties at the time. And like when you're investing time is so important. And like the earlier you start, the better off you are. And, you know, now that I have over $200,000 invested and think like back to October, 2018, I had $10,000 in my 401k. That was it. And now I have, you know, a multi six figure portfolio. And that was a really short time frame. you know, that's oh, yeah. four years. Right. Um, right. And so for me, the, the biggest thing was that mentality shift of just debt freedom for the sake of debt freedom to, okay, I really want to build wealth. I don't just want to pay off my debt because paying off debt that's at a 3.5% interest rate, it really mathematically speaking does not make any sense at all. Mm -hmm. And so for me and my risk preferences, I just decided, you know what, I'm going to let this, this ride. I don't really care about paying off my student loans early. Um, and instead I'm, I'm focusing on investing as much as possible. Yeah. I think that's so smart. And I actually go back and forth with my husband on this too. And I like take little bits from you to like rebuttal in an argument for an investment because we did, um, and I want to get into this a little bit too, a little bit more about like some unglamorous ways to build wealth. So just, yeah. just a little story here for anyone who's curious about like my money story. We bought a house in 2014. We lived there for four years. It doubled in value. We took that and that, that was one of the best investments and in, honestly, a stroke of luck took that, paid off all of our debt. So I was, I think 26 and I was debt-free with like six figures in my bank account, you know, like what the heck, what we did was we lived with my husband's parents for so smart, right. An entire year. And everyone was like, I could never, I could never, we drove hoopties. We didn't have car payments. Like we did the ugliest, dirtiest, most unglamorous thing to set us up. And I want to talk to you about that. Like, do you see yeah. that often? You know, let's talk about the dirty things you have to do to, to build wealth. Yeah, that's amazing that you guys did that, especially when you're that young, you know, being able to live yeah. at home with your parents when you're in your 20s is like still socially acceptable. It's probably a little bit less when you're like married, but still the yeah. fact that you like had that option and took advantage of it is so smart. I love that. Um, and had I been in a situation where like my job was in the same place that my parents were, I probably yeah. would have done thing, um, knowing what I know now, but for me, the unglamorous stuff is really in the mistakes that I made, you know, I Talk made mistakes. Little, yeah. I, I made a lot of mistakes, especially. So when I first started really even dipping my toe into personal finance, I got really good at saving money. And so at one point I had like an extra $5,000 in my bank account. And I was like, that's enough. I don't really need an emergency fund. So it was before mm-hmm. I knew enough about personal finance and, Instead of investing that $5,000 in the stock market, I decided I was going to invest in my ex-boyfriend's company. And my ex-boyfriend was somebody I couldn't trust when I was dating him. So I don't know why I thought it was a good idea to invest with him. Um, But his company, he would flip houses in Chicago. So he needed private money lenders in order to fund those projects. 
And so the first time I did it, it went great. I made 20% return. So I reinvested all that money back into his business. Then I had saved up an extra $5,000. So I included that in my investment. Then I sold my car and I put all that money in and invested. So I just kept doing that. And this was all prior to 2020, prior to like me knowing anything about investing. Um, and so I kept doing that and I was like, wow, this is like too good to be true. Like, I can't believe I'm making these 20% returns over and over again, like multiple times a year. Mm-hmm. And eventually, you know, anytime you hear yourself telling yourself, oh, wow, this is too good to be true. It usually is. Yeah. And in this case, it definitely has proven to be one of those things where it's like, yeah, this is probably too good to be true because it's been over a year since yeah. he's paid, paid, paid me for, you know, my investment thing like that. So Oof. it's one of those things where, you know, I learned from it. Mm-hmm. I now knowing what I know, I would never invest, you know, $30,000 number one into my ex-boyfriend's business, but also <laughs> into, into a risky investment, you know, private money lending is risky. It's almost the same as investing all of your money into one company rather than diversifying among several assets, $30,000 of mine, where he owes me about 60 that's a big chunk of my net worth right now. You know, that's something that it does impact me. And if I could redo it, I wouldn't want that much of my money tied up into this level of risk project. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's something that you learn with mistakes. You know, it's something that you can try to teach it to somebody, but until you've actually been through it, it's really hard for somebody who's like so excited about, oh my God, 20% returns. It's amazing. I can't lose. Well, you're going to learn the hard way. So I would recommend that, you know, you understand the investment and that in particularly risky projects, only invest money that you're willing to lose. So if I could do it all over again, I'd only put 10 grand into his company, maybe 20. Um, But I still think he's probably going to eventually pay me back if he doesn't, Mm -hmm. you know, if he doesn't, um, I'm not ruined, you know, right. Like some people put their whole life savings into you know, crypto or new coins or, or yeah. AMP or GameStop and things like that. And, you know, you have to understand the risks and you have to, if you're going to do that, you have to be okay with the potential risk of losing it all. Yeah. Speaking of mistakes, I'm curious, what are like the top three biggest money mistakes that you see in your clients? Oh, in my clients. That's a good yeah. question. Um, I would say that one is focusing too much on debt freedom instead of investing, especially when you're in your twenties. Um, I think that there's this narrative out there that if you have debt, you're stupid and you know, it's something to be shameful of, and it's something to get rid of as quickly as possible. And the truth is, is that it's very nuanced. Um, you know, some debt is bad debt and you do want to get rid of it as quickly as possible, but you should never sacrifice saving for retirement in order to pay off your debt. Uh, especially, you know, there's a lot of information out there that tells people to stop investing in their 401k in order to pay off their debt. And I completely disagree with that, especially if you're getting a 401k match, because that's free money. That's basically part of your salary. Why would you say no to that? Um, but I think that that's probably one of the biggest mistakes is this, like, intense aversion to debt, uh, even if it's not bad debt. Uh, right. I think that's huge. I think that holds a lot of people back from investing, um, mm-hmm. even, you know, earlier than what they normally, you know, or it, it keeps, it holds people back from investing earlier. Yeah. Um, the other big mistake, and you will see me post about this on Instagram all of the time 
is people think that IRAs or Roth IRAs or 401ks in of themselves are investments. So what they do is they'll open their Roth IRA account and they'll transfer money and then they'll be done. And they'll be like, okay, I'm good. I've invested. But usually <clears throat> your money is just sitting in a money market account. And money market accounts are not investments in the way that you think that they are investments. A lot of folks put their money in there and it just sits there. And since it's not invested, they didn't pick investments, their money's not growing. And that can be a really devastating blow to your retirement if you don't catch that for, you know, five, 10, 15 years. Uh, there's an infamous story that, you know, goes around on the internet of talking about this one woman who did that and she got to retirement and realized all the hard work she did of putting money away into her IRA every year was basically for naught because she had never picked investments. So she wasn't able to retire. And it's like, oh my gosh, the idea of somebody putting in the work to save $6,000 a year. Mm-hmm. And then getting there and realizing they just didn't buy and oh my God, it breaks my heart. And yeah, so yeah. I see so many people doing that because they see SPA XX and they think, oh my gosh, I'm invested. That's all I had to do. But SPA XX, I can't remember if that's Fidelity's default one or if it's Vanguard's default account, but it, like that is not an investment. It's a money market account, I believe. Um, mm-hmm. So that's, that's the second one for sure. So if you are listening to this and you're like, oh crap, I didn't realize that. Go check, go look at your 401k, go look at your IRA, go look at those things to make sure you actually picked investments. Hmm. Um, and then for the third one, uh, I think the third one is being afraid to invest and, and not, and, and using that as a reason not to invest. Mm-hmm. To me, I think a lot of people think of investing as trading and trading and investing is very different. So a day trader is somebody who is trying to, you know, buy low and sell high and pick individual stocks. And it's, it's often what we think of when we think about investing, because it's something that we've been exposed to on, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, TV and movies and things like that. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. But real investing is a lot less sexy than that. It's like, buying and holding low cost index funds for decades upon decades and like really just chilling. So that's what I would say. I think the biggest thing for getting rid of the fear is education is like yeah. is, is giving yourself uh, the time to learn and, and find, find out that there are ways to invest that don't require as much risk and that are honestly more effective. Yeah. Yeah. So what is lazy investing? I feel like you're kind of alluding to that a little bit now, but like, what does it look like? Right. Is it just said and more chilling, (laughs) you know, for me, lazy investing is when you're a long-term investor. So you've got, you know, a couple of decades to invest. So for example, I'm 30 years old. I don't really plan on retiring for probably 20 to 30 years. Um, because of that, I'm able to really buy diversified investments like low-cost index funds that have a pretty broad, you know, broad package of stocks inside of them and hold on to that. And I don't worry because I've picked diversified low-cost investments that are covering the entire market rather than just picking individual stocks. I really don't have to pay attention to what the stock market is doing every day. I can really just chill and let let the historical returns guide what I think may happen with my investments. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't really buy and hold when you're picking individual stocks. Uh, it depends on the stocks. But when you look at you know, the number of stocks 
that have filled or who that have cycled in and out of the S&P 500, like the top 10 stocks that have cycled in and out of the S&P 500 over the last decade, they change like 80% of those stocks have changed. And so if you think holding on to an individual stock is going to be, you know, the way to go, that's a lot of risk. But whereas you're holding on to the entire US stock market, or the entire international market, based off of, you know, we never know what's going to happen in the future, but based off of our past performance, we know that the U.S. stock market on average over the last hundred years has returned about 10%. So with empowered with that knowledge, as well as being empowered with the knowledge of how low cost index funds generally outperform their actively managed counterparts, mm-hmm. you know, it makes it really easy to not really be all that concerned. Um, yeah. Now, when you're closer to retirement, when you've got 10 years or less, you're going to want to be a lot more diversified and you're going, but there's still lazy ways to do that. And really, I think the epitome of lazy investing is index funds. Mm, That was my next question was like, as far as investing goes, where does the beginner? And I mean, we'll just speak to the younger crew. We'll speak to the millennials, right? Um, Where do they begin? Especially if they don't have a ton saved, they're not making six figures. Maybe they're doing what I was doing and they're stuck in like advertising and marketing somewhere. And they're just not making what they deserve to be making at this point, regardless of how much education and, you know, their debt to income ratio is tricky, right? Where do, where do they start? Well, if you're talking about investing, I think the easiest way to start is with your 401k or your 401k. Yeah, of course. Literally, no matter what, get your freaking match. Like it's yes. just a no-brainer. That is extra money that you could you 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 know it's a benefit to you. It's one of the reasons that you took the job. So get that four hundred one k match. Yeah. Um. And then beyond that, I still think that the four hundred one k. It depends on the company and the provider that you have for your four hundred one k. Because some four hundred one k options are really good, and some four hundred one k options are really bad. So if you can, at the very least, get the match. But then try to see what's inside of your four hundred one k. What I have found is that most four hundred one k. 401k providers offer target date funds and target date funds can be a really great way for beginning investors to just get started because it takes away the question of what do I pick? What do I invest in? And it gives it to you like in a pretty packaged target Mm -hmm. date fund. So target date funds are something you can buy in an IRA, a taxable brokerage or a 401k. But the whole idea behind them is that you'll pick the date that you plan to retire And that fund will have a bunch of different funds and stocks and bonds and things inside of it. And what's really cool about it is that it's going to automatically reallocate the closer you get to retirement. So if you picked like a 2060 fund, that means likely it's going to have about 90% stocks inside of it right now and probably 10% bonds or a little bit less. What's cool about that is as you get to 20, closer and closer to 2060, let's say by 2040, your investments have now moved from 90% stocks to 80% stocks and 20% bonds. The reason is, is because the closer we get to retirement age, the more bonds we want to have in our portfolio, the more fixed income assets we want to have in our portfolio, because those are going to be less volatile. And once you get closer to retirement, you're kind of moving from this wealth building phase 
to the wealth preservation phase. You've invested enough. You've got a lot of money in your bank account or in your brokerage account. So you Mm -hmm. want to work on starting to preserve a portion of that. And the way that you do that is through lower risk, lower volatility uh, investments like bonds. The target date fund will do all of that for you. So that's a really big win. It's They were created to be that total off-hands investment for people who are like, I don't know what to pick. Uh, And you don't have to do anything. You can, you know, theoretically, you could buy a target date fund and never really look at it again if you wanted to. Um, The other thing is if you don't like target date funds, which, you know, I, there are pros and cons to target date funds in my mind. I think the biggest pro is that it is hands-off. You don't have to really worry about it. Mm -hmm. The other option is a robo-advisor. Robo-advisors now are pretty amazing. I would probably pick a robo-advisor over a financial advisor um, because a robo-advisor is an algorithm. They're going to ask you a bunch of questions about you, your goals, your time horizons, and things like that. And then they're going to design a portfolio for you. And most of the robo-advisors that I have looked into, they all invest in low-cost index funds. So you're going to pay pretty low fees and you're going to have really well diversified portfolios that are made according to your risk preference and time horizon. And again, you don't really have to do anything. You just have to answer a couple of questions and then they'll recommend a few portfolios for you. Um, So those are really, really easy to get started with, probably even easier than target date funds um, because you could, you know, open one in 10 minutes from your phone and be invested in in 15 minutes uh, that way. So those are probably the two ways that I'd say, you know, if you're literally at the beginning and you're like, I have no idea what to purchase. I don't know what to do. Start with your 401k. And if you've done your 401k and you want to open a Roth IRA with a a robo advisor, go for it. It's literally one of the easiest things you can do. And you don't have to know anything about what you're picking. Right. Right. Um, wow. What's a robo advisor? Like you kind of explained, but what, what is that? So there's robo advisors out there like Wealthfront and Betterment, M1 Finance, LFS. Those are all like probably some of the four most popular ones. Um, what it is, is they're all fintech companies that have created these algorithms that essentially will serve as a financial advisor, even though it's just an algorithm. It's a, okay. it's a it's, it's somebody who's going to look at all your data that you give them, and then it's going to spit out suggestions for you. And then it's, once you pick whichever suggestion that they're like, okay, let's say you're like 30 years old you put that in there, you're a female, you want to retire in 30 years, uh, your risk tolerance is pretty high. They're going to take all of that data and then they're going to push out and recommend a couple of different portfolios for you. So mm-hmm. they'll be like, you know, Betterment, I think has like maybe six portfolios for you to choose from. I can't remember off the top of my head, but they'll say, okay, here's one option where we're going to put you in, you know, 90% stocks and out of that 90% stock, 70% is going to be us, 30% is going to be international. And then there's further breakdown. So they'll literally pop out these portfolios that you get to pick just based off of the questions that you put in. And generally what I have seen is they're really good at making sure that you're really diversified. Um, whereas, you know, when you're going with a financial advisor, you're dealing with a lot of biases. You're dealing okay. with a lot of like emotions. You're dealing with people who are, you know, maybe going to do a really good job of managing your portfolio, but with the algorithm, like you're not going to deal with human emotion. You're not going to deal with human biases. You're getting literally an algorithm based, a base portfolio. Does that make sense? 
Mm-hmm. It totally does. It totally so it's, does. It's like to me, if somebody was like, I, should I invest with a financial advisor or should I invest with a robo advisor? I would probably recommend starting first with a robo advisor because it's going to be a lot lower fee. And then again, you don't have the human part, which mm-hmm. some people like, and some people don't like, but to yeah. me, you're probably going to have a safer bet with that. Whereas like a good financial advisor is a flip of a coin. You don't know whether or not they're going to have your best interests in mind. Mm-hmm. A robo advisor, you know, they're going to put you in probably a pretty general bucket, but like, it's going to be really diversified and low cost. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. This is so in depth. Um, I know you talk a little bit, you, you're, you've alluded to, you know, investing versus saving what, like, what is the difference, right? So money, just if you're saving, it doesn't work for you, but when you're investing, it works for you and grows, correct? Well, it depends. So in my mind, when I talk about saving for retirement, I'm talking about investing for retirement. Okay. Uh, saving. Yeah, it can be confusing. Saving, yeah, least, in my, yeah. In my mind, saving can be saving cash or it can be investing. Um, because you know, when you're saving for retirement, you're probably not hoarding a bunch of cash for retirement or likely you shouldn't be. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when I talk about saving, I'm usually talking about investing unless I explicitly say, save for your emergency fund, you need to have three to six months of cash in your emergency fund, or you need to have your home down payment in cash. So when I'm talking about it, at the very least, I'll specify when it needs to be in cash. But generally, I think people really only need cash for any short-term purchases that they know are coming up, like a house or a car down payment, or, you know, I don't know, a vacation that's coming up within the next one to three years. Mm -hmm. Um, and then an emergency fund. Those are really the only things that generally I'm like, yeah, that needs to be in cash. Personally, for me, everything else gets invested. Wow. You have done your research, Queen. <laughs> <laughs> Something I really want to talk about, um, just to segue, is passive wealth. Do you work with your clients on building like other streams of passive wealth, or is it mostly investing? I mean, it's I guess. Mostly- Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's pretty much all investing. Is everything investing? Like, even if you were in like real estate, would that technically be investing? That would would be investing too. Yeah. I'm like your dumbed down client. I'm like the person who has (laughs) no clue. I love it though. Cause sometimes I, you know, I forget, especially I'm not doing a lot of one-on-one coaching anymore. So all the course. So it's always nice to like get that human interaction where it's like, okay, you know, I'm, here and some people are still over here and I have to like remember like okay me talking about index funds may be like like a little bit too far I mean need to break it down a little bit further um so like yes real estate is not something I specialize in there are real estate experts out there that I always refer people to Mm -hmm. um but you know I I know a little bit obviously about side hustles and things like that but when it comes to like true passive income generally I think of portfolio income which is coming from your investments because to me, other than real estate in certain scenarios, there's no higher level of passive than investing in the stock market. Mm-hmm. You don't have to do anything. You literally right. just put your money in there and your money grows, hopefully, depending on what you're invested in. Yeah. Um, so to me, that's what I focus on. Um, but you know, I talk about side hustles as well sometimes, but to me, the passive income is like a buzzword that we see a lot on the internet. Sure. And most of the passive income things out there are really not that passive. Mm. Um, passive 
you know, when people talk about like blogs being passive or podcasts being pa- passive, you know, you create podcasts. It's not yeah, passive. It's, work. it's a yeah. lot of work. <laughs> yeah. 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 You're right. You know, it may eventually become a little bit more passive, but as long as you're creating content, it's work, it takes time and it takes yeah. a lot of things to set up. And it also takes a lot of time, especially in the blogging space. You know, mm-hmm. Google doesn't really even take your blog seriously until it's been around for three years. So passive income in the side hustle world in the digital product world, it starts with a lot of not passive work, a lot of hands-on work and eventually yeah. it could become passive. Right, yeah, it's definitely a bigger upfront investment of time. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, exactly. you're right. It is, it's important to touch on that. You mentioned earlier, and like speaking of buzzwords, crypto, NFTs, are they ETFs? I mean, what the heck? How do you feel about these? So ETFs are, I wouldn't put them in the NFT or the crypto bucket. Uh, crypto and NFTs are very like speculative investments. We mm-hmm. don't really know what's going to happen with them. And what I think about specifically crypto is for me, because of the level of volatility that's involved with crypto. And like, when I talk about volatility, it's just the price, you know, shooting up extreme and going down extreme, that's going to continue probably for a really long time. And with the level of volatility that crypto is at, you know, you have to be ready for that. If you want to invest in crypto, you need to understand the risks of investing in crypto then proceed as you want. Just make sure that you're making an informed decision when it comes to crypto. So personally for me, I only invest money that I'm willing to lose in crypto. Um, NFTs, I probably an unpopular opinion. I do not like NFTs right now. I think there's something that in the future they could be, I do think that our society is moving towards more digital everything. So I think that there is definitely some possibility and potential in the NFT space, but I don't think we're there right now. Mm -hmm. The number one way that people get scammed in the crypto space is through these NFTs. NFT, the security is not there. People are getting scammed out of millions of dollars because they're trusting too much in these NFT platforms. Mm -hmm. And personally, I just don't think it's there yet. Um, I think it could be something that's very viable in the future. But again, if I was investing in NFTs, I would only be investing money that I'm willing to lose. So that's how I feel about NFTs. ETFs are totally different. ETFs can be index funds and most of the time they are index funds. And when I'm talking about index funds, all that an index fund is, is a, a fund, which is basically investors are pulling money from other investors to buy a bunch of different stocks or bonds or whatever is inside of the fund. Index funds can be ETFs or they can be mutual funds. So when you buy an ETF that's mirroring the S&P 500, that's going to contain 500 plus stocks that are inside of the S&P 500. So an ETF, if you're investing in index ETFs, they're going to be just as, you know, uh, safe or, or um, what's the word I'm looking for? The, generally, when I think about index funds, I think of them as middle of the road investments. It's like, like medium, medium uh, rewards and medium volatility. You know, it's kind of like right in the middle. If you look at cash on this end, way at the far left of like low risk, low returns. And you look at crypto as high risk, high returns. I like to think of broad based index funds as sitting kind of right in the middle. ETFs fall into that category if they're index ETFs. So 
really, it's just a different type of fund um, mm-hmm. that doesn't necessarily. Okay, so EFTs are really just another form of an investment that's in the standard investment world. So when you're investing in ETFs, generally most ETFs are passively managed index funds, which just means that they're going to contain things inside of it that are going to mirror an index. And an index is just really a fancy word for a grouping of stocks. Mm -hmm. So you hear, oops, you hear about like, the S&P 500 all of the time. Right. The S&P 500, all that is, is a grouping of 500 of the largest stocks in the U.S. market. So when you buy an S&P 500 index fund, whether it's an ETF or a mutual fund, it's going to contain all the 500 plus stocks that are inside of the S&P 500 inside of it. So ETFs, there are some risky ETFs out there. So if you see like leveraged ETFs or commodity ETFs or certain sector ETFs, those can be a little bit more risky than your standard broad-based you know, index ETFs. Mm-hmm. But generally, like I said, I wouldn't really loop it into crypto and NFTs. Those are like, you know... Those are a guessing game, in my opinion, Um, and there's a lot more volatility, but with ETFs, you can buy the exact same mutual fund as an ETF a lot of the times, especially if you're investing on Vanguard. Yeah, interesting. Me personally, I've been really freaked out to invest in crypto. I know some of my friends, I'm just, I'm an old soul, so I'm a late adopter. I'm very, I'm big, I know like it takes risk, right? High risk, high reward typically sometimes, right? It, it just depends. When it comes to this, I'm just like, I'm going to wait and let the mistakes happen. And then I do see the issue with scamming and I'm yeah. like, Oof, I'm going to sit this round out and see what happens. I think yeah. And I think that's fine. You know, like I say, I don't care what anyone invests in as long as they understand the risks and rewards. Like as long as you understand what you're getting yourself into or what you're not getting yourself into and you you decide to do it, go for it. Like, yeah, I I just want people making informed decisions. Mm -hmm. I came across a statistic I want to talk with you about. So retirement, it's, it's a boring topic, but it's important because you don't want to be eating dog food when you're 80 because you didn't save. That's like our family motto, right? So I did, I I pulled a little research. Um, and I'm wondering if this is true and what you think. So it says those who do have retirement funds do not have enough money in them. According to research, 56 to 61 year olds only have around the average of $160,000. And those a little older have even less. So if that money were turned into a lifetime annuity, it would only amount to a few hundred dollars a month. Mm -hmm. That how much money do you need? Because that's not that would not get you very far, as we know. Like less than a really, depending on how frugal, unless you're like living off grid in the woods, like. You, I wouldn't land. Yeah, have to, you would have to live with family or somebody you would have to take in, but yeah, that, no, that's true. The statistics around retirement and the bad it's yeah, there's a lot depressing. of people. It is. It's really depressing. And I think that that's why it's so important that, you know, millennials, we have time on our side. So it's like, totally. get started right now because you do not want to be in that position. And right. it's a 
sad, sad reality for so many senior citizens Mm -hmm. is that they get to retirement age and they have to keep working. I mean, think about how many Uber drivers you've seen who are over the age of 60 or think about all the grocery store workers or the, you know, people who are doing DoorDash and things like that. And I remember there was once a TikTok where somebody had like filmed their elderly DoorDasher on their like camera, like their, um, Oh, what's it called? Like your doorbell camera. And they were like, Oh my God, I just had the cutest DoorDash delivery guy. And it's like, that's not cute. That's sad. It's that's sad crazy. that we, we don't take care of our elderly here, you know, for me, and this is probably an unpopular opinion in the United States. I would rather pay a higher tax rate for sure to ensure that everyone not only had access to healthcare, but everybody could retire pretty much no matter what, and that people could go to school for either free or way discounted in comparison to what we currently have. To me, I would happily do that because this is the sad reality of a mm-hmm. lot of retirees, especially because if you think about it, it just wasn't that long ago where we went from the employer being responsible for people's retirement to you being responsible for retirement and the education system, the education system never caught up. You know, once pensions were pretty much eradicated, it's not like then everyone got sought down and explained, okay, now that you can't rely on a pension to fund your retirement and you probably can't rely much on social security, nobody was like, this is what you do instead. Instead, it's just like, hey, this happened. Good luck. And so many people just kind of hoped that things would work out, but it didn't work out. So if you are in your twenties or if you're in your 30 and you're saving for retirement now, you will probably be fine. Um, but it's the sad reality for a lot of people is that they didn't start then and they didn't wait. They waited until their fifties or their sixties may not be able to retire because yes, with a hundred thousand dollars or, you know, whatever it is, that's not, you know, that's not going to fund your retirement. Right. It'll supplement it. You'll be able to take out a couple hundred bucks a month or buy an annuity that'll pay you a couple hundred bucks a month, but um, it's not going to allow you to, you know, not need assistance. Yeah. And I'm curious. I mean, I'm sure this depends on everyone. Everyone has a different lifestyle, right? They live a different lifestyle. Is there around a set amount that we should have when we retire? Yeah. So there's a very, very simplified rule that a lot of folks use to ballpark it. Mm -hmm. And basically what you do is you take the amount of money you want to spend the year you retire and you multiply that by 25. Now, a lot of people forget about inflation when doing this. So when I say, think about how much money you want to spend, you have to think into the future. When I am 60 years old, how much money will I need to spend? And there are some great online calculators. One that I love is bank rates, retirement calculator with inflation. So you can literally say, okay, in today's dollars, I want a hundred thousand dollars a year in order to be able to retire. Well, you plug that into the bank rate. And if you plan on retiring in 30 years, a hundred thousand dollars in today's dollars, maybe $400,000 by the time you retire. So you would then need to take that $400,000 that you would spend in retirement and multiply that by 25. And that's generally how much money you would need in order to retire. I had no idea, (laughs) but it's it's the 4% rule if anybody yeah. wants to look further into it, but it's basically, so 4% is the inverse of 25. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you just take, like, if you want to spend a hundred thousand dollars a year in retirement, you take a hundred thousand yeah. dollars and times it by 25. And that's really like 
in my mind, I think of it as like, that's the bare minimum you need to be saved for retirement. Yeah. I fall into the category of, I just have someone that, I mean, this is really empowering me. I just, we have someone who just manages everything. And I like the finance bit has never been my cup of tea, but I am feeling more empowered now to learn about it as a woman, just in case, you know, I just need to know, right. Uh, It's important. Cause like I said, there's good financial advisors out there, but there are a lot of bad financial advisors out there. And especially if you're working with like one of the big box uh, financial advisor yeah. firms like Northwestern Mutual or Edward Jones. Those are some of the worst ones out there, but they're such common household names that everybody uses them. Yeah. So that's what I'd say is like, it, of course, there are always going to be one, there are always going to be people who want someone else to manage their money for them. And that's right. fine, but it never hurts you to educate yourself at least on the basics so that you can see what they're investing in for you so that you can understand those conversations that you're having with your financial advisor, rather than going in there and just kind of like nodding along as they like, you know, they, mm-hmm. they jargon you. <laughs> right. No, they totally do. Um, our, our guy, we used to have, we were not with them anymore. It was a guy from Edward Jones and he came door to door to our house. Yeah. And yeah. like he came with like a broken hand and like, we just felt so bad for him. And like, uh, it was this whole thing. We're not with them anymore. That was, I mean, gosh, when we started that whole situation, I think it was like 24 years old. So like, yeah, that was I mean, a while ago. <laughs> yeah. It's great that you started when you were 24 years old though. And like, you know, what I have found, and this is why I'm like, just get the basics because I have had people who went in they'd been with their financial advisor for years. And then we looked at what they were actually invested in and their financial advisor had half of their money sitting around in cash or the other half. Yeah. Yeah. Or the other half in a target date fund. And it's like you, by the very definition of a target date fund, you do not need a financial advisor to put you in a target date fund. What you we can buy is a money a target <laughs> to teach you how to do it yourself. Yeah, you no kidding. It. Yeah. So is that what your course is all about? Like self-empowerment and like really figuring out how to do this stuff yourself? Yeah, yeah. So the lazy investors course is literally just everything that I've talked about day today, just teaching you how to do it for yourself. You know, yes, that. you could pay a 1% fee to a financial advisor for the rest of your life, or, you know, you could invest in yourself one time for a course and literally learn how to do it yourself and like mm-hmm. make educated decisions all by yourself. So that's my that. whole goal. Even when I was coaching one-on-one, my goal was always to get my clients to a point where they don't need me. You know, I don't want yeah. you to paying me for the rest of your life to teach you how I want to teach you how to do it yourself so that you can make informed decisions and you can decide what's best for you. Because at the end of the day, no one, not your financial advisor, not your spouse, not your dad, no one is going to care about your financial situation more than you're going to care about it. So that's where really what my focus is, is just helping people, you know, understand their options and, and be able to make informed decisions. Yeah. It's so empowering. I, I feel the spark for sure. I'm going to end with some fun questions. Um, just a couple, what is your favorite money book recommendation to build Um, wealth or to invest? The one one that this isn't really an investing book, but it really changed my perspective perspective on money is the, or I almost said the millennial next door, the millionaire next door. Um, 
it really, I used to be a big spender and money would just like burn a hole through my pocket. And once I read the millionaire next door, I realized just number one, how achievable becoming a millionaire is if you just pay attention. Um, but it also just really painted a new life, a new light on, you know, what being a millionaire really is about. Um, yeah. so I, I highly recommend that, especially if you're looking for like a mindset shift. That's funny because my next question was, what do most millionaires have in common when it comes to their finances and money in your opinion? Uh, so actually, yeah, um, most of them became it through their 401k. Oh. So one of the things I read both in, I think it was the everyday millionaire and the, mil- mil- the millionaire next door um, is that shockingly enough, most people hit a million dollars first in their 401ks. Wow. Isn't that wild? Yeah, that is wild. And this is yeah. funny too. I didn't realize that you started out with a mental health blog, but my, my other question was your favorite ritual to support your mental health. Cause I love asking this question to anybody. It applies to everybody. I love it. Um, so anymore, my favorite ritual is going to the gym and I, and now as, as much as I hate to say it, I am now a CrossFitter. Oh, don't hate it. I love that for you. Girl, I am obsessed. I so fun. You, I used to not want to do CrossFit because I, I remember thinking about how crazy CrossFitters are and they're all so intense. And I'm like, but now that I'm in it, I'm like, I am an intense person. I am crazy. Like I am exactly yeah. what CrossFit is and I love it. And oh. I think the community around it, it's like, if I don't go a day, you know, I usually go like five or six days a week, but if That's I miss a, a day, yeah. if I miss a day, even if it's my rest day, I feel off. And it just, it really helps set the tone for my day and Mm -hmm. the community behind it is really amazing too. So I'm, I, as I'm on this road trip now, it's so nice knowing that no matter what, even if I don't make any friends in the city that I go to, which is probably going to happen, I will always get human interaction at CrossFit. So like, I will always have a community in every city that I go to. And I I love that. It's really good. I love it a lot. And like also just the focus on building strength rather than just looking good. Um, oh yeah. It means, yeah. It's, it's really yeah. powerful. My next question was what's your healthiest habit, but I feel like we just answered that. <laughs> that. That is probably my healthiest habit. I'm definitely working on other things. Um, like I'm trying to become a more spiritual person. It's something that doesn't come natural to me. So I hired a coach specifically for my spiritual growth. Yeah, um, I would say right now, <laughs> Yeah, I would say right now, CrossFit is probably my healthiest habit because um, I'm not sure I have enough healthy habits to brag about right now. <laughs> well, working on it. All right, last question. What is your favorite way? This is one of my favorite questions. Your favorite way to elevate or conserve your personal energy? I feel like this is just the money uh, question. <laughs> no pun intended. <laughs> how to, how I... Per, like protect my energy. Yeah. Do you like to elevate it? Like, what do you do to get yourself like jazzed or what do you do to like, you know what? I'm going to set a boundary. I think oh, both are yeah. so powerful, you know, for me, it's learning how to say no. Um, yeah. I am half introvert, half extrovert right. and my extroverted side sometimes takes over. And I have to remind myself that I also need to honor my need for time alone in order to recharge because it is, I'd say I'm like 60, 40, I'm like 60% extroverted and 40% introverted. Um, and so a lot of the times I'll overbook myself, I'll overschedule. I remember it used to be like when I lived in Chicago before the pandemic, I would have like four to five social events a week. 
And like thinking about that now, I'm like, I can barely handle like two a week. Yeah, so no, I hear I you. Re- yeah, I think the pandemic for me was a gift in that way. In yes. that all of a sudden I had no plans for months at a time. And I, for the first like half or for the first like six months of the pandemic, I was like living my best life. I was yeah. like sleeping better. I wasn't drinking very much. Mm-hmm. I was, you know, reading for fun and pleasure and things like that. So it really helped me um, realize just how happy I am when I do have more balance. And so mm-hmm. I've been trying to maintain that. Um, and now I can really tell when I have been too socialized and I need to like take some time back and, and really yeah. spend some time by myself. Oh my God. You're speaking my language. I think it's called ambivert, ambivert, ambivert. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly what I am where I like, I am very social too, but like after I extend myself, I need at least a good 11 days of nothing, not even a dog. Like I don't want a person breathing next to me, like (laughs) alone, alone. Yes. Oh yeah. Especially if I, if it's been like, like I'm coming back from a conference or something, it's like, I need a month off. (laughs) Yes. No, totally. I hear you. Well, thank you so much. This has been really empowering and I appreciate it. How can people connect with you? Cause they're definitely going to want to trust me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so I'm on Instagram and TikTok at Clobear money coach and, uh, bear is spelled B A R E. Um, but I also have, you know, a free guide where if you wanted to get all my recommendations and you wanted some templates and journal prompts and like my favorite tools and things like that, when it comes to starting your money journey, um, you can also download that for free at the lazy slash guide. Um, but yeah, I'm pretty accessible on, on Instagram and TikTok. So, you know, pop over and say hi. Yeah. Thank you so much. This has been a dream. I'm so excited. And again, so empowered and I'm actually going to snag that myself as soon as we get off. So (laughs) yeah. Thank you, Chloe. You are so welcome. Thanks. Thank you for showing up today. I appreciate you being here in this space with me. If you are into this episode or you really dig the podcast, I would be so grateful for your five-star review on here as well as sharing this episode or podcast with your crew. If it resonates at all, that would mean the world to me. Also, here is an invitation to hang out with me on Instagram at Brittany Basinski. You can chat with me here anytime. I would love to connect with you. Thank you so much from the bottom of my heart for being here. Until next time.